Bonjour. I'm Terrence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. On the line from Brooklyn, uh, Melissa Clark, author, mother, uh, staff writer for that uh, left-wing newspaper that I've been reading for the last 50 years, the New York Times, and most recently the author of a wonderful cookbook called Dinner in French, which she claims she doesn't speak very well. Melissa, welcome to Paris, <laughs> if only metaphorically. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, just before we get started, I want to do a shout-out to, uh, to Laura Edwards. All too often, photographers are unmentioned uh and uh it's it's a wonderful uh accompaniment to your to your wonderful writing laura, say something about laura that we who may we not may not know laura edwards. yeah laura edwards is a um, british photographer and i worked with her um both in london and in paris and actually in the south too um near avignon and she i found her work through um the great british food writer diana henry and i absolutely loved everything that Laura's done. And so I asked her to do this book and it made sense because most of the book was done um, on location. You know, I got to go to France. It was a big old excuse to just spend more time in France. Like who wouldn't want to do that? And Clarkson, Clarkson Potter's take you to a trip to France? You know, the way, unfortunately, the way book publishing works these days, I just get in advance and I pay for my own photography. So it was my, uh, it was up to me. But you know, it, it was actually, um, it, because I wanted to shoot it in France, you can't make this stuff up. You can't shoot this kind of book in Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, could, but it would be a big fake. And I wanted to be oh, there. Park, Park Slope, maybe, with all of those French restaurants. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but I really, I wanted to get the feeling, you know, so much of this book, you know, the story that I'm telling in this book is very personal. And I, I did read the book, by the way. Oh. I, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not Larry King, uh, Baruch Hashem. You know? <laughs> yitkadal, yitkadash. Yeah. I read the book before I do an interview. So you know how personal all the stories are, and a lot of Absolutely. it when I was, you know, talk, kind of talks about um, the time I spent in France when I was a kid, and I wanted to recreate that in the photos as much as I could. So I packed up everybody and we went to France and it was easier to actually have a photographer from London meet us there than sure. bring in an American crew. So it made, it actually well, made sense. She seemed to have uh, caught your sensibility. Uh, I want to go back before we talk about the book and talk about France, back to the beginning since we're both from Brooklyn, although we've took different routes to get here. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, can we use the word gastronomy in Brooklyn uh, at the time that we grew up in the, in the same world? I don't know. I mean, you know. Can we? I mean, I went, you know, I'm a little older. We went to Avengers. You never, God forbid, you went to someone's, a friend's house and didn't bring the mother a piece of cake. So it was Avengers. And I was eating Malamars when I came back from school when, at about 3.30 in elementary school. And, and of course, and no Jewish woman in New York is allowed to cook on Sunday. Very, very small Hebrew print in the ketubah. Madame will not cook on Sunday. <laughs> talk, talk a little bit about your Brooklyn gastronomic roots. Um, I mean, they are they are strong. I mean, I have such such memories of. I mean, Lundy's. You know, going to Lundy's for clams. Um, this, this, no, describe Lundy's to those of us those who are not Jewish or have never lived in New York. It, 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 gosh, it was this. So Lundy's was famous for two things: for clams and for biscuits. And it was this big seafood restaurant. Um, like three thousand people. Oh, it was huge. Yeah, was it that big? Three thousand people. And it was I this, think it was something like that. And you on two floors. And two floors, and it was. Um, 
And was it Coney Island or Sheepshead Bay? But it was out by the. No, it was it was at Sheepshead it was Bay. Sheepshead it was on Bay. Emin, Emmons Avenue. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Because my grandparents lived around the corner on West End Avenue. Oh. We'd go there often. Okay, so yeah. yeah, so I mean, and so I was, you know, when I was a kid, I, I remember my parents would go crazy over the clams, and everybody would go crazy over the clams. I was there for the biscuits because I was, I was pre. This was pre-clam, Melissa. This is before I really embraced seafood the way I do now. But those biscuits, oh my God! So Lundy's had these incredible buttery crisp on the outside buttery biscuits and i just love them um so that was so much you know i would i would crave. and they did three thousand covers for the first sitting on sunday i don't Amazing. know how they did it i don't know how they did it um and then of course you know there was bagels and locks which was just you know elemental for me every sunday so sunday night might have been lundy's but sunday morning was bagels and locks and that was sacrosanct we had to have the bagels and locks. We drove down to, um, I grew up in um, Flatbush area, which is now called Dennis so Park. I, I grew up at Clarkson Avenue, so. Okay. Clarkson and Rogers, and you were oh, Dennis yeah. Park. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And so we, and we went up to Avenue C, there was an appetizing store at Avenue C, and uh, appetizing, where you get your bagels, and um, my dad would always say, you know, three eighths of a pound Nova slice it thin. Three eighths of a pound, really? He couldn't go for the half a pound, but a quarter pound was too much. But you know, so three eighths of a pound Nova, slice it thin. Well, he was uh, he was on a budget. We were on a budget, and um, and little pickles. So I would always say to the to the guy behind the counter, I you know, give me a, a half sour, uh, small crispy pickle. So I always wanted one of those. And then next door was the bakery. Um, it was a Jewish you bakery. You never got the Jones for pickled tomatoes as I did. I love pickled tomatoes, but that was a later thing because, you know, you have the to cut with a steak knife because if they're really good, they're firm. Yeah, they have to be firm. I don't like it when they're mushy. Um, gosh, remember Junior's, how you could used to get the potatoes? You'd, you'd get the pickles right on the end. It'd be the pickled tomatoes right there. So Junior's, we'd go for cheesecake. We'd sit at the counter. We'd get chocolate egg mm -hmm. creams. Well, you were too far to go to cookies unless you were looking for guys when you were a teenager. No, cookies. I don't remember. I don't remember cookies. So, was it, under, under, it was on the, under the... Uh, the Metro Tracks Avenue J. <laughs> Avenue J. So my my um my aunt lived on Avenue I, and um so we'd go to Avenue J a lot. We'd go around the corner, and I don't remember the names of any of the places, but there was the bakery with the black and white cookies, and um the, uh, there were many bagel places there. But I like the bagel place on. A little Rugaluck maybe. Yeah. Oh God, Rugaluck, of course, Bobka. Um, this was all <laughs> you know. This was. This was the you're almost too young. You know, you're almost too young for this. I've looked at your bio. I know you could be my daughter. You know, I probably was the last. You're supposed to say you don't look that old. Thank you. Um, but I, I <laughs> no but me. I, I remember it. I remember like I. Yeah, it was yeah. probably the last of the. You know, I feel like I mean, Lundy's was closed. Um, we went, we also. I mean, did you do? I mean, being Jewish, you know, we're also sort of honorary part Italian in a way. Like I, we ate a lot Absolutely. of the, you know. So there was going out to this place, giant place called Gargiulo's. I don't know if you remember, remember that. Okay. Um, all these oh. seafood restaurants also. I remember the Hamilton House in Pappas, which was down the street on Emmons Avenue. Okay. More classic good grilled fish. Yeah. And there were just, I mean, so Brooklyn was so many things. It was Jewish. It was Italian. It was, I mean, there was not the Chinese um, Chinatown that uh, started later, you know, um, on 8th Avenue. Um, but that that was in my teenage years. We started going there. We used to go to Chinatown a lot, actually. We'd go to Manhattan a lot because, I, you know, again, as, as a Jew, you know, Chinese food was in my blood. I always loved it. We <laughs> ate a lot of dim sum. Um, and this and that was. Oh, dim, well, no, you're, well, you're far too sophisticated and too young. We didn't have dim sum. We went to Choi's where Barbara Streisand worked on Sunday 
and it was lobster Cantonese if we had a few shekels that week. Otherwise, yeah. it was shrimp Cantonese, uh, shrimp and lobster sauce. Shrimp and course, lobster uh, sauce, yeah. And chow mein, yep. not lo mein, chow mein. Out in California, it was lo mein, and those crispy noodles. Yes. Those free noodles. It was like eating potato chips. Oh, I love those free noodles. You put them in the hot and sour soup. Yeah. If anybody's listening in expecting us to talk about France, be patient. We'll get there. <laughs> Sorry, we have to do the Brooklyn thing for a minute. Oh, got to do it, man. We got to do it. The, no, the thing with Barbara Streisand was uh, literally we lived in contiguous buildings in the uh, very lushly described Van de Vere estates. Ah, pre- very nice. Had, you know, very nice. 95% Jewish population and a and a Polish uh, superintendent, yeah. or super. Yeah. You know, if you saw the movie My Favorite Year with Peter O'Toole, he goes into uh, a Lenny Kazan's apartment building, his mother, and the one guy in the building who's not Jewish is the guy that, that fixes the, the leaky faucets. But Barbara worked behind the counter, and on Sunday there would be this procession out in the street. It would be husbands, shot upon Jewish husbands, yeah. and, uh, and oldest uh, sons, like myself, who would get in line, place the order. Barbara would take the order, go back to the kitchen. About 160 people could sit in the restaurant, and it seemed like there were that many waiting out the door on Sunday. And then she would come back and give it to you and take take your money. Right. That's how she was able to, you know, get through Erasmus and uh, start her career. Right. All right, enough, enough about Brooklyn. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about your connection to France. Apart from, I, I, I guess I'm quoting your father. Uh, what, what did he say? First we get lost, then we eat lunch. Ah, that was, this is before GPS. That was what I said. That was my line. That was my <laughs> line. So, yeah, so um, we every year, my parents um, took us to France, my sister and me. Uh, they packed up the whole family. And this was back in... How many in your family? You have brothers and sisters? I have a sister, so there are four of us. And so mm-hmm. they packed us up. And this was in the, um, in the 80s. And so, you know, before the internet. Um, and we would house exchange. And again, before Airbnb, before people house exchange, my grandmother thought we were crazy. Everyone thought we were crazy. You, you're, 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 you would, we would write these letters. Strangers in your house? Yes, yeah, strangers in our house. And we would just, and it was like this act of faith. You know, we'd type out these letters on that blue airmail stationery. And we'd mail them just to France somewhere. And we'd get the letters back. And we'd agree. And we'd fly and um, and it was always to a different part of the country. You know, we stayed, but, but although we stayed a lot in Provence because we all loved it. My mother especially loved Provence, but we would go to different, also different parts of the country. There was Brittany, Normandy, um, the Paris suburbs. We stayed in a lovely house one year. Um, and the French people would come to Brooklyn, uh, which was always how, a little disconcerting <laughs> for them. When you first went, how old were you? Um, I think our first, well, so before we house exchanged, we would rent houses in the 70s. So my first trip to France, gosh, I should ask my mother. I actually don't remember. Um, I, wh- Where is mom? Is she nearby? Can yeah, we ask her? Yeah, we can. I mean, we, I can, you know, my mom. Don't call her. <laughs> what? Should I call my mom? Don't call. No, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, going to exactly. call my mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, because then she'll never get off the phone. Um, but my mom is a ham. She would she would love it. But so, I, but I know that I went when I was a baby because there's a story of um, my my grandmother going with my parents and my grandmother helping out. Um, and you know, I think my grandmother my grandmother was definitely kosher. So this was it was very it was hard to you know make sure I mean, she real got, kosher, not kosher like us. Real kosher. no real kosher. We weren't kosher. Real kosher. No, she was kosher kosher. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, um, and the bubba, bubba, yeah, yeah. And so she and there's a story of how she was holding me and my parents were driving. I guess it was summer, but they were driving across the Alps somehow. 
in France. And somehow uh, it was, you know, summer when they started, but then when they got up to the top, it was very cold. And my grandmother was so upset that the baby, me, that I was going to catch my death of cold because there was snow on the ground, even though they were in the car. And this was like a big deal, you know, and grandma was hysterical, but uh, it all worked out. We were fine. I did not catch my death of cold. In fact, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> um, yeah, I think they were driving from France to Switzerland. Well, I think you mentioned it's in the book or uh, yeah, I believe in the book that your father, uh, Basically, summer vacations for him were fishing in the Catskills. And I always thought fishing in the Catskills was looking for girlfriends. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, when I was you know, when I was a teenager, we went for a couple of weeks or two weeks in the summer. And all you want to do is meet pretty girls. Yeah, you know, I... Your father was a fisherman my, of a different type? He was. He actually wanted to catch the fish. What can I say? You know, he and my mother were together since they were like 16 or 17. So, you know, he had his pretty girl. He had his pretty girl already. Um, yeah, good for him. Yeah, but no, he was a, he loved to fish, fishing, and they that was a big thing. And then my mom dragged him to France, and uh, everything changed. Um, but if it was up to him, he would have spent. You know, we'd still be, we'd have a house in the Catskills, and that would be it. And there'd be fishing, and there. But my mom, um, and my mom's you know side of the family, uh, my aunt Martha, my great aunt Martha, and my great uncle Jack, uh, went on a tour. They, they booked a tour to like Europe, you know, 11 countries in, in 30 days or something. If it's Tuesday, it must be built. Exactly. And um, as a uh, present to my parents, when they graduated from medical school, um, they took my parents. And um, this was like, basically, they didn't want to go by themselves also. And my parents were just, they'd never been to Europe. They'd never been out of the country at all. They'd never been to Mexico. They just, and this is their Order from Brooklyn. You don't, you're lucky if you cross the, uh, cross the east, you know, the bridge. The yeah, bridge. exactly. Um and it was just this incredible, it was like they fell in love. They fell in love with the food. They fell in love with the art. They fell in love with the the palpable history. Um, and they also, I mean, there was also a lot of feeling a connection, you know, to this. I mean, they spent some time in um, uh, in Germany and Austria. Um, and, you know, that was and sort of a connection to this greater past of, of I mean, Judaism. I mean, are your family... So. Are your family from Germany? Or, well, or from uh, from part of our family is from Austria, so you know. From Vienna. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, right. You know the wealthy part. Of <laughs> my grandma. No, 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 right, no Galicianers and Litvaks in the family. No, there's plenty of those too. I mean, okay. then we have the the other side. You know, um, it's all kind of fuzzy, to be honest. I know that there is. Yeah, we um, should be on Jewish radio here. I think. Uh, I know. Should we? <laughs> should we go back to France? But but the, the the connection to Europe, the connection to this past, and then of course when they went got to France, they were like, oh my. God, this food is amazing. Wait a second. What you've been holding out on us for all these years? This food exists and we haven't had it before. And so was there a, was, was there a front when you're growing up? Was there a French restaurant in Brooklyn that you went to? Um, no. There Did was, they exist? It, no. I don't remember any. No, not until I was in high school. But when I was little, I mean, we really, there was no, if we had French food, we had it in France. Or my parents, you know, once they went to France, then they discovered Julia Child. And then they started ah. cooking. And then everything, you know, their whole life revolved around having these Julia Child dinner parties. You know, they were cooking through, you know, Julia Child before Julie and Julia. They were cooking through that book. They made all, I mean, they really... They had this group of friends, and they made these incredible dinner parties. And they did everything from, you know, by hand. Did you ever meet Julia? Did I ever meet Julia? Yeah. Um, I talked to her on the phone, but I never met her in person. I saw her. I had at a you know big food events before she died, but I never was introduced. But I did talk to her on the phone. I interviewed her once about sausages, and um, mm. you know, she had a body sense of humor that Julia. Well, her, I, I did. A, I did an event. Her. 
her, I believe it's her nephew, who name will come back to me, but uh, had written a book about uh, about Paul and Julia, their life together, and it'll it'll come back to me. The title. Any event, he was in San Francisco, and I hosted a uh, literary event where I introduced him to about a hundred people. And uh, Julia's sister showed up. She was living in Mill Valley and living in a retirement home, yeah. and she was needed a wheelchair to get around. She came in in one of these you know Meals on Wheels kind kind of vans. Yeah. She got there early. Sat down first row, was sipping a martini when I showed up. Oh, so amazing. those girls knew how to live. Oh, so good. And I, uh, I, I got very lucky near the end of her life uh, to spend some time with Judith Jones. We did a couple of events together. Who, if you're in the food business, is just I don't. Know, she's a goddess, or she was a goddess. Yeah. Oh, you're lucky. You're lucky. You met some of the greats. Oh, was, That's amazing. She was wonder absolutely wonderful. She's so and, and very, very sweet and generous to me. I really, I had had a great uh, personal feeling for her. She was wonderful. Let's go back a little bit, talk about you for a change. Uh, do you remember the very first meal you cooked? I mean, I forget about French cooking. I mean, like when you were making pancakes in Brooklyn or whatever they allowed, allowed you to do. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. So, I, well, I remember the first cake I baked. So I baked this uh -huh. terrible cake. Um, but I got to, you know, my, my parents, I was probably was about eight, and my parents were like, okay, yeah, go bake a cake and I was with my best friend from down the block and we decided that we wanted to make a purple cake this was very important that it was purple because we were eight and it needed to be purple so we we followed the recipe and we found the food coloring and we you know we put in the red and put in the blue and, and the batter was beautiful and we baked it up and we'd forgot the leavening we forgot the baking soda and the baking powder <laughs> and so it baked up into a pancake it didn't rise and instead of purple it was gray and we had this gray pancake cake it was matzo you it was, it, was, it was yeah it was pretty dismal but you know what i learned and i really learned that lesson then we, we made the icing you know confectioner sugar and butter and milk and whipped it up and made that purple and put the pretty purple icing on top of the gray cake and we hid it and then we put sprinkles on top and the icing was really delicious and you know what that cake i mean okay so yeah the cake was terrible but the icing hit it and nobody to my face told me it was terrible even though i knew in my heart of hearts it was and it, it was really the first time i was like you know what i'm not apologizing for this like don't apologize don't explain just like here is my cake and just well you sound like julia icing. child yeah yeah you sound like julia the chicken falls on the floor you pick it up you, you invoked the three-second rule. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just, you, you, you just carry, I mean, I always think that what I do, my technique now is that if I mess up something, I just rename it because it's all about expectations. So here is my, my flat and heavy cake, <laughs> you know, or I mean, something like that. Or here is my, um, you know, my, um, gosh, my, uh, this is my, uh, dense cake or something, you know, you create the expectations that people want. I mean, I have made bitter eggplant salad. Yeah, it's supposed to be that way. <laughs> uh, what, you don't know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I've made, I've turned stews that were supposed to be thick into soups. I was like, oh, no, it's brothy. It's supposed to have that thin, runny sauce that was never thickened. Um, and I think that's actually. Yeah, any, any lie told with authority is believable. A hundred percent. And you know what? You're feeding someone at the end of the day. And as long as it's not terrible, I mean, because, you know, if you can find something to love. <laughs> There's, there's a, sure. And you're feeding someone, and they and you've cooked for them, and that's really well, also. I mean, important. It, it seems that the, the fact that you weren't an immediate success has em empowered your success. You learned from that. I mean, I I feel I I can see the cake right now. I can see you uh, whipping up the <laughs> uh, the batter, uh, as I'm sure you can. Yeah. Well, it was you know it was. Um, but it was also freedom. I mean, being in the kitchen by myself was freedom. And I was allowed, it was a creative act for me. It was a creative act that was appreciated, you know, because honestly, it's like, 
you can be creative on a on canvas. I remember I tried to paint at one point, or you can be creative um, by writing poetry, um, or you can be creative in the kitchen. And in my household, at least, the biggest gratification and payoff and appreciation was anything I would do in the kitchen, whether it came out or not. You know, it was this act of creation, and um, and it was very powerful, um, and it still is. Was your mother or your grandmother a, a decent cook? Well, so my parents became good cooks because of Julia Child, and they, you know, they they studied and they read and they ate. But um, my grandmother on my mother's side was actually no, she was not a good cook at all. She was a uh, she. Her famous dish was um, tuna salad, where she put the hard boiled eggs and the pickle relish. So that was grandma's, you know, big thing. Of course, made with Hellman's mayonnaise. No, none of this. Best foods or Wonder Whip nonsense. Yeah, no, I don't even remember. I mean, it was always Hellman's, um, you know. Always Hellman's, of course. Uh, yeah, and and mother's. Does, does your does your French mayonnaise resemble Hellman's? How do you how do you make your may your mayonnaise as we would say? Oh no, my mayonnaise is definitely not Hellman's because I have Hellman's also. You have a time and place for Hellman's. And that is Absolutely. in your tuna salad. Tuna fish sandwiches is exactly, is exactly That's the what you need. And then you have a time and place for real, you know, homemade mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Or I love an aioli. Is there, an aioli is my thing. I always put garlic uh, in it. I can't help it. I just, Absolutely. the garlic's got to go in there. Did you ever read a book called uh, The Cuisine of the Sun by Mireille Johnston? Yes, I did, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I love it. I remember I, I read the first paragraph of that book and we decorated our kitchen in a wallpaper that was. Uh, uh, it was, it was a, a Milton Glaser design. He designed the book, and it was beautiful blue, and I thought I was in Provence. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I've cooked out of that book. I've made a bunch of things from that book, um, including, I think, her orange wine, which was ah, yeah. which has become a thing. But I remember making it, you know, when I was in college and drinking it when I was well, in college. My leg of lamb stuff, stuffed with garlic slivers and anchovies. That was a classic. That my... Yeah, that was a classic. We had that a lot, and I still have that. I still love that. I mean, what is better oh, than that? It's fabulous. And, oh, it's so good. I mean, I... that that page has garlic stains and <laughs> olive oil stains all over it. I mean, although it's in my head, I, I know what to do with it. Uh, it get, let's get back to to you and and, and cooking. Uh, do you remember the first the first French meal you cooked? Oh gosh, the first French meal I cooked by myself. If you lie to me, I, you know, I won't. I, I won't know. Um, I mean, I remember cooking with my dad, and I remember that we made um. I mean, yeah, the lamb was a big thing. You know, I, re I, re I remember him with the knife, like the paring knife, and I would stuff. So I had little fingers, you know, obviously. So he would make, he would, you know, cut the, cut the lamb, and I would stuff in the, the anchovy, the sliver of garlic, and the little piece of rosemary into each little sliver. So I remember helping him with that. Um, I remember making ratatouille when I was, you know, a kid. I, not kid-kid, but like maybe a teenager. Um, I, I remember when the first time I had it in, in Provence. We were in... Um, uh, Cavaillon. Cavaillon. Oh, we were in Cavaillon, and um, we were exchanging houses, and we arrived at this house, and we were arranged to meet the people who we exchanged with. We always try to meet the families to give, like, sure. a, so they were there, and they served us lunch, and it was um, ratatouille, and it was on with cold lamb, of course, and it was so delicious, and it was, like, oily and full of eggplant and garlic, and it was just, like, whoa, what is this weird vegetable stuff I'd never had before, but I loved it so much, and um, so then I wanted to cook it while we were there, and I just remember you know, gathering the ingredients. And, um, you know, my mother was like, no, you have to cook each vegetable separately. And I just, and it was hot because it was summer in Provence and I was standing over the stove and there was eggplants and tomatoes. And I thought, God, this is a real pain, but it was so good. 
at the end. Well, when you when you do it the way you're talking about, which is the correct way to do it, it it's so different. I remember uh, Patricia Wells is one of her early books uh, about about food. I know, bistros, food of France. It's a restaurant in Cassis that I like very much called Chez Gilbert, and that to me was I, I would go there just just for the uh, for the ratatouille because every you know you could really feel in, in your mouth you could taste and sense the texture yeah. of each of the individual flavors and each of the individual vegetables uh, as opposed to that that mush that they pack in in, in plastic uh, bags or something and <clears throat> that you take home today it's like a puree yeah it was the integrity of the eggplant that I remember the most you know that the, the egg- integrity of the eggplant yeah. <laughs> Each chunk of eggplant had integrity. It wasn't. I saw that. I saw this movie. <laughs> <laughs> the integrity of the eggplant. <laughs> well, no, I think I think it was the Goodbye Girl with uh, Charles Grodin and uh, oh, Ginny uh, Berlin, uh, Elaine May's daughter, and Eddie Albert, and he's invited to dinner. They're very goyish up in Minnesota. And he says, oh, I, I love the integrity of the people in Minnesota. So, <laughs> the, the integrity of the eggplant. I, I'll use that one. I'm absolutely. But I'll, I'll give you credit. <clears throat> Promise to give you credit. Did you ever see the movie The a, Apartment? Come on, of course. You, what, I, I, interviewed Bill, I interviewed Billy Wilder when he was 88. You did? <gasps> I did. Oh, my gosh. Oh. The, that was yeah, with yeah, the yeah. tennis racket and the spaghetti. When you see me, I'll, you can touch my hand. Wow. You, yeah, uh, Billy yeah. Wilder. Wow. Okay. Now those movies I've seen. <laughs> yeah, Billy. Billy was my god, and he and he did not have clay feet. He didn't disappoint me. He was he was wonderful. Oh. At eighty eight, he was absolutely astonishing. What did you interview him for? Well, at that, at that time, I I was Guillermo Medina. I was the most widely syndicated Latino film critic in America, writing self syndicated for eight years in six newspapers. Yep. I, we'll talk off camera. This will be. Shouldn't be an interview about me. Which is a lot off camera. Yes, because we are on camera. Wow. Anyway, back back to uh, to lamb chops. <laughs> yes. So in, the integrity <laughs> so, of the ratatouille, the, the yeah, lamb. The... What? So it's it's Wednesday night here in Paris or in in Brooklyn, and you don't have a lot of time, but you want to do a you know a quick uh, lamb chop, probably pan fry. Yep. So what do you do? Oh, what do you do? Yeah, well, you know what? I actually kind of go Italian because I love those like little um, uh, quick little lamb chops that you, you know, with the little ones. Um, garlic, anchovy, capers in the pan, in the oil, get it hot, 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 and then just sear the lamb chops. Actually, you do. Uh, you're, like two, not even two minutes aside? Yeah. Actually, you know what? Oh, these are ba- little ones. The yeah. little guys. Yeah. And, you know, and then just like that's it. Like that's the perfect thing. I mean, the trick there, though, is you want to make sure that your capers get nice and brown. Before, so are you using big big capers with the, the no not the, the come caper, on the stem no not the caper berries I like to just use the regular okay. capers um and you want to so you want to you want to pat them dry first like this is really I think the key to this dish is getting those crispy capers so you pat them dry first and then you throw them in the oil and you get them crispy and then that with the garlic and the anchovy and the tons of black pepper that you put on after mm. that is a delicious dinner oh I want to have that <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. And do you need to saute some potatoes or not even? A little green salad and... Uh, bitter greens, yeah. Just like a nice bitter green, yeah. you know, arugula, maybe some radicchio. Arugula, yeah. yeah. You know, this is not this is not your French meal. This is more, but it's it's great and for any... Well, it's close enough. Yeah. And uh, what, 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 you, what vinaigrette do you use for this? Do you have something special? You know, I'm a citronette girl. I just have to say. Okay. I like a citronette. I really like my lemon. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do... Um, you know, Myers lemons or Brooklyn lemons? <laughs> ah, my mother, I have both. My mother has a Meyer lemon tree in Brooklyn. 
And wow. I know. She has a lemon for me. She, title she, for your next book. <laughs> my mother has a lemon. A Meyer tree grows in Brooklyn. My, oh, Meyer tree grows in Brooklyn. Oh. I love it. Yeah. Um, I want to reread A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Actually, I think I'm ready. I can reread that now. Uh, but yeah, so that's what I do for dinner. I have my little citronette. I like to put garlic in my citronette because I'm a garlic head. Um, but my husband says, you know what? Enough of the garlic. So now we have a rule every other night. I put garlic in the dressing every other night. So last night was garlic night. So tonight, no garlic in the dressing, which is a little sad, but you know. Well, you know what Mel Brooks says about, well, as the 2,000-year-old man, about garlic? No. What does Mel Brooks say well, about uh, Carl Reiner, of blessed memory, had asked him, he says, well, tell me, what is this, what's the secret to your longevity? He says, two things. First of all, I eat a lot of garlic, <laughs> lots of garlic, and I never, ever run for a bus or train. There's always another one right behind me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he's absolutely right. I, I love garlic as you do. I could eat it, you know, raw, theoretically. And I, I see these people schlepping down, running down the metro to get onto, onto the K to get a train. I walk. When I get to the, I get to the bottom, they they missed their train or they caught their train. Next one's coming in two minutes. The schmuck could have a could break his neck, uh, you know, have a have a heart attack. Mel Mel had it right in starting with garlic. Okay, yes, because you are in Paris where the trains run every two minutes. I am in New York. If I miss that Q train, <laughs> the, the next one is twelve minutes away. Oh. So I will run so for nice, the train. Nice commercial for being in Paris. Thank uh, yeah. you. We appreciate it. Oh, gosh. I wish I was in Paris. But I will run for the train and eat lots of garlic. So I will split the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're starting out uh, a, a basic French kitchen in, in America, where mm -hmm. not every, although in Brooklyn, you go to Atlantic Avenue, you know, where the, uh, the Middle Eastern, you can get probably anything. But what are three or four or five of the most important things that you must have at all times in your kitchen? Well, for sure, lemons and garlic, um, 100%. Um, butter, you know, good. I mean, we get butter. We, we eat a lot of French. You get salted butter like us, nice Norman butter? Yeah, well, we get it from France, but yeah, we get that. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. there, are some, there are some local butters um, that are good, too, but you can always get them. They're not as reliable. You're not in the store as reliably as the French butter, so we eat a lot of... Uh, with little little flecks, little crystals of the little salt. crystals of fleur de sel mm. right in there. Love that. We eat a lot of that. We keep it at room temperature too, just like you know, and okay. you do in France, um, which is great. So um, yeah, so butter, garlic, lemons. Um, I mean, olive oil, of course. You know, you have to have olive oil, but good salt. You know that fleur de sel that you just talked about. Oh, it's wonderful. You need to have the good salt. I like to have. I have like four to. Well, actually, I probably have like. 20 different kinds of salt, but I'm a little extreme. But I think it, if you're just starting out, you need your fine salt and you need your coarse salt. So, and the coarse salt, preferably a uh, fleur de sel that has, um, uh, Go ahead. Uh, preferably a fleur de sel that has a little um, crunch to it and flavor, you know, I mean, salt shouldn't mm -hmm. just be salty. It should have minerals and other flavors in there. So um, yeah, that, and then good pepper. I mean, don't forget about good pepper actually in oh. a good pepper grinder these are essential for just making anything shine oh, sounds sounds wonderful yeah i mean you know do you still have break stones are they still in business these whipped butter that used to come in a tub i think they are god yeah that stuff why yeah, would you want to add air to your butter what you want to do is take the air out of your butter if you want your butter to be well, this is brooklyn where my mother would take a liver steak on wednesday and it was it was i guess it wasn't dead enough it was so dead <laughs> The only way you could you could eat it was to slather it in ketchup and slide it down your throat. It was uh, basically inedible, I would say. Hey, how did the gig with the New York Times come along? So, um, you know, it's all... For those who don't know, you are how many times a week? Once a week. Once, once a, week. a week. 
Um, yeah, how about and plus that? those magnificent videos where your uh, your effervescence just <laughs> pops off the screen. Um, yeah, we do. You know, we used to do a video a week. Now we've we've changed it up a bit, and we're kind of finding our footing again. You know, especially now in the pandemic. But yeah, so I once a week, and I started at the Times in 1997. Actually, I think my oh doing what freelancing a copy boy. Uh, huh? Yeah, freelancing. No, I wrote. I my first column was. Um, my first article was a little, it was a Q&A um, called The Food Chain, where, again, you know, remember the 90s? People wrote letters and mailed them, and then, you know, you'd write back. So people would write questions to the Times about, you know, cooking questions, like how, why do, why do my egg whites sometimes beat up and they sometimes don't, you know, or why, or um, what happens if I add, you know, lemon to baking soda, or it's like just question, you know, general food questions, and I would answer them. I would do the research, and I'd answer them, and I have a teeny little byline, and I remember the first time I got published in the Times, my first byline, it was an egg white question, you know, how to, best way to whip up egg whites, um, and I wrote the answer, and, you know, of course, I cut it out, and we framed it. My mother called me, and she was like, you know, her first question, how much did they pay you for that? You know, because, and I was like, Ma, I had to give them a $25 check to, to for the byline so they'd print my name. <laughs> she believed me. <laughs> she, she, like, bu she bought for it. For a minute. Yeah, yeah. I was like, no, no, yeah. no. They paid me, you know. Well, you know, just b back up a second. How did you, how did you, what was your path to the Times? You went to, what, uh, Columbia, right? Barnard in those days? Yes, I went to Barnard, and then I went to Columbia, and I have an MFA in writing, you know, creative yeah. nonfiction, whatever that means. From from Columbia? From Columbia, um, Barnard undergrad, and... Um, well, this is creative nonfiction we're doing now. It all, it, it is, exactly. Although I feel like, I get, you know, I, the, the, the bridge between creative nonfiction and fiction is like, it's a slippery slope there, but uh, I try to walk the line, um, and I, um, but I was always, um, I mean, I just loved food. Food was the way I told my stories. Food was my metaphor. So I was writing. I graduated. I started writing for Time Out New York. I wrote restaurant little restaurant blurbs. I wrote trend pieces on food, um, and. I was also writing cookbooks at that time already. I was already um, writing about, um, I, my first cookbook was a bread machine cookbook that I wrote uh, in grad school. And I, um, it was, uh, I had four bread machines going. It was like this crazy six week schedule to write an entire cookbook. And I had four bread machines going and I would get up in the morning at four in the morning and feed the bread machines and just test these recipes. So, and I was catering. I also had a little catering company. I was just doing, you know, I was waitressing. I was co-checking. I was doing all the things you do in New York when you're in your twenties. Um, and uh, through a friend of a friend, I met um, a guy who was the editor at that time of the science section. His name was Rick Flast. And he, Rick Flast. Okay. And um, then he started this brand new section called, and there was a living section, there was a science section. This was before the dining section. And he started the section called the dining section. That was his baby. Um, and he was working also with Pierre Frenet. Sure. Um, and Craig Claiborne. Yes. Um, but he was working with um, Frenet on a cookbook. Was that the, that was the 60 second or the 60 minute chef? Yeah, the 60 minute chef, exactly. Yeah. Not 60 second chef as if. 60 minutes sounds so long though now, doesn't it? Like, doesn't you know, it? We're, yeah. we're all so accustomed to things being so fast at 60 minutes, seems like. Um, Our perception then was 60 minutes was fast. Exactly. And that just shows you how much has changed. But he was working on a cookbook and he needed someone to help. And so I became his assistant. He seemed like an awfully nice guy, my sense of him. Rick Flast was a is a great oh, I'm, guy. I'm, I'm Pierre, I'm talking about Pierre. Oh, Rick, Pierre? Oh, you know, I never met him. Um, oh, okay. um, 
Actually, I did meet him very briefly, very, very briefly, but I didn't really know him. But he okay, was, um, he's, yes, he, I seemed like just a, a mensch, you know, a mensch. That's, yeah, exactly, as we say in French. As we say in French. Un, un vrai mensch. Is that how it goes? Which, now, at that point, trying to think, uh, Mimi Sharton, Gail Green, are we in the same period, or is that even prior to that? That's more of the 80s. Well, this was that. That was before that. Um, this was, I think, who was doing the reviews when I start when I started writing? It was, um, I mean, Patricia Wells for a while. Patricia Wells for a while. Yeah, I think it was um, Bill Grimes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Who's gone out to write about books now? Yeah. If, if I read them. Yes, properly, yeah. and, and and he does all kinds of things. Um, but anyway, so it was through that, and I started, and you know, I started working for him as his assistant, and then he. Um, came back to me when he started the dining section and said, hey, do you want to write this little column called The Food Chain? And it's a teeny little column. So I did, and... Um, well, but it's location, location, location. Yeah. And teeny I, column in the New York Times. Exactly. Right. And I just kept writing for them and writing for them. And um, then they started giving me bigger Was pieces. A, Abe, Rosen, Abe Rosenthal still alive at that point? I don't remember. It was on the cusp of it. If it wasn't, it was right, you know. Well, you came and he died. I've, I've, I've killed so many men now. <laughs> I know. So many men have died. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was uh, that was the beginning. And then I just kept saying yes to, they say, do you want to do this piece? I'd say yes. I, I want to do this you piece. Always say, always, always say, say yes. yes. Always Can say you yes. ride a horse? Yes. <laughs> always. Always. Why don't we finish up? Because uh, um, you, you, know, you probably have to feed someone soon. <laughs> We, we, I've already uh, taken my question about what do we do for a quick meal during the week, so I'm going to run to the corner and get some lamb chops. But let's say you're making this uh, special feast for, for four. Okay. So you and your husband and a nice couple, or if I were in New York, maybe I'd be invited. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, maybe. Get my request in now. Uh, and you want to do a, a special little meal, entre plat dessert, fromage, mm -hmm. uh, with an accompanying wines. Describe that meal for me. Oh, please. my gosh. I think make, I... make me Make me want to be there. Um, I mean, if it was special, I would probably want to do, I would do duck. I would do duck confit because, ah. because it's so easy, but it's a big bang for the buck. It just seems like a how special. Easy, how easy is he? How easy is it? He says. Uh, duck confit? Yeah. I think it's easy. I mean, okay. So I cheat. I, I make a cheater's duck confit, but I, so you take your duck and you get your beautiful duck legs and you cure them a few days ahead, which means. Where do you, you get your duck legs? Is this from uh, D'Artagnan in New Jersey? Yeah, Where I love D'Artagnan. I would get my duck from them. Yeah. Um, in fact, I once made press duck and I had to get my, you know how you've with press duck, you need the whole duck that you without, with the entrails still in. I, I had to call, um, D'Artagnan at place a special order. I'm like, don't gut my duck. I want my whole duck. And you know, they, they got it for me. Um, but anyway, I'd get my duck legs and I would cure them, sprinkle a little of my nice salt. I would actually use my cell glee for that. Not my fleur de sel, my cell glee. Mm -hmm. And I would take, um, juniper and bay leaf and, um, thyme and garlic and, and put it all on top and just let it sit in the fridge for a few days to absorb all of that great flavor and to, to lose a little bit of the moisture because you want to, um, you want it to condense a little bit. Then you take that and duck and you, um, I just do it really slowly. You, I just sear it slow, slow, slow on a low heat till it renders its own fat. And then you don't need to add, you know, six cups of duck fat to cover it because it's already rendering its own fat. And so maybe you just add a little bit of duck fat to just make and it. And you save the fat for 
for uh, French fries. Oh God, you say, yeah, you say the fat for everything. I, I, if I don't have duck fat in the fridge, I get I get a little nervous. If I don't have duck fat in the fridge, I just cook myself a. I guess I go find a magret and I just cook the magret and save the fat, and there I have my duck fat again. I have to. This would be French uh, schmaltz, right? Yeah, I, I grew up with the schmaltz. I, it's you know, <laughs> the grimness is the best part. Anyway, so I would do so. I'd have my duck confit, and I and then I like to um, serve it with you know duck and fruit is so such a time honor com combination i like i have a recipe um in my book in dinner in french and i would do this with satsuma so you take the orange the fresh satsuma tangerines and i'd make a little sauce out of that and so you'd have your duck comfy with the satsuma i'd have a bitter lettuce salad with frise and um before or after the duck after the duck always <laughs> after always after no 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 i what mean do, we're so nice here <laughs> what are we starting with uh, before this meal oh before okay you know something very light maybe i do some gougere just, you know, um, gougere and some champagne to just... Well, what kind of cheese are you po popping into your gougere? Uh, con in America. Conte. Oh, you get... Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. you can get it. Um, or gruyere. Well, that's, that's, more, that's more like an amuse-bouche. No, no entree? That's true. What would I do for an entree? Um, if I was serving duck, I would probably want to do something vegetable-based as an entree. Um, well, it depends on what time of year it was. If I had asparagus, we could do a beautiful, um, you know, like an asparagus amandine. So asparagus mm -hmm. with toasted almonds and butter, that could be a first course. That's and the leftovers you can use for Pesach. Yeah. It, we're, this is a spring meal. <laughs> exactly. Nothing gets thrown away. Oh, no. Well, we'd all eat it all because it'd be beautiful. Maybe, oh, if it was spring, maybe there'd be morels, too, and I could have some morels on, mm -hmm. you know, with the... Um, with the uh, asparagus, oh god, morels and asparagus is so good. Mm. So just right on top. It makes you want to cook, right? Yeah, just something really simple like that. But you know, simple, just quick and lots of fresh herbs. Um, or maybe I would take a little bit of smoked salmon and put it with my asparagus. That's another lovely combination. Um, mm. But keep that light, and then you'd have your duck, and I would have, of course, I'd have duck fat roasted potatoes. You know, with Ooh, the with that because you have you'd have the duck fat, you'd have the duck. Do and we have to consult uh, Eric Asimov to know what to drink with this meal, or do you know? No, I know what to drink. Oh my gosh! Well, so okay. we're starting with our champagne, um, and you know, for our first pink or a uh, pink or a uh, blanc, a blanc, a very a, a blanc. I mean, I like I like a rosé champagne, but I prefer you know, um, it would probably be, um, gosh, I mean, a small grower. I'm not sure which small grower, but I'd you know one of the small grower champagnes that was just. Not a pet nat. We'd do an actual champagne. Um, sure. And then what would I serve with the duck? I mean, I would probably, I mean. Well, we have to have a cheese course before we get to dessert. Right. So, but oh, I'm talking about what I'd You're going to continue with, with the leftover conte from the Gougere? Or do you have some other? No, items? no, no, no. I would probably, I mean, if there was, I would put that on the cheese plate. But I would also, um, no, I, maybe I would have um, some, you know, wash drying some, you know, I would, because we're in New York, I ha we have some really nice uh, local wash drying cheeses. Um, we have H Hudson River Valley. Yeah, or? exactly. Some Hudson, um, you know, sheep's milk cheeses, There's a sheep's milk camembert, which is really good. Um, so we could have that one and we could have some fresh goat cheese with that. Some really beautiful fresh ones that I would marinate a little bit with some herbs and some olive oil. Um, and then we would have, um, we'd have a good blue cheese cause I'd love to have a good blue cheese. Um, so we would, you know, we might actually even have something, we might have a Stitchelton, which is, um, like a Stilton it's, but it's, um, Stitchel, it's slightly. Stand up. What do you weigh? 12 pounds or. <laughs> <laughs> well, I run all the time, so I run it off. Good for you. But we'd have our cheese, and then for dessert, um, for dessert we'd have warm madeleines and uh, mm. warm madeleines right out of the oven, and um, and then we'd have some lovely uh, berries. Maybe we'd have um, 
depending on what I could get, strawberries, because it'd be spring. So we'd have our warm madeleines, our um, whipped uh, whipped creme fraiche, or no, creme chantilly. We'd do creme chantilly, like just mm. the whipped cream, and our, our sugared little strawberries. Um, uh, I'd get um, marade de bois, right? Fraise de bois? No, marade de bois. On... That's the other one? The, ah, d'accord. You know, the, mm-hmm. ah, because those are the best, and you can get them sometimes. And that would be that would be our meal. And then to finish, maybe a little meal. little chocolates and you know maybe some sauterne. Uh, some sauterne and as a digestif for the agenda pruneau d'agen. Oh, pruneau d'agen. Yeah, pruneau d'agen. Or or vieille de prune. Vieille de prune is one of my favorites. Actually, this is funny because I love vieille de prune and my husband does not. So we always have you know, and I love Calvados and he doesn't love Calvados, but he does love Armagnac. So we have all of those things, but we can, we can do a little tray and then, you know, and that would be a delightful meal. And you'll have to come over and have it one day when the pandemic is over. One one day when the planes are working, Melissa, it's been an absolute delight. You're, you're, you're every, you're the joy that I thought (laughs) that I thought you would be. I'm not disappointed. Kind of like Billy Wilder, you know, Uh, he's still God and and you're still a delight. Absolutely. And let me let you get back to work because I know when my listeners hear this, they're going to run to the kitchen. I mean, as soon as I hang up, I'm off to get something to eat. You've made me terribly hungry. And I repeat, you know, we've, we've spread so much Yiddish in this conversation. If my listeners don't have a, a guide or Leo Rostin adjacent to them, just email me at terrence at paris-expat.com. I'll be happy to do the translations. And one final thought, as I said to you off air, you are absolutely the most Hamish of, of Jewish cookbook writers. And those other ladies can complain all they want. They can't hold a candle to you. You are the best. Oh, Terrence, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so, so much. I. It was fun. It was almost, this is work, right? Yeah, I know, right? Well, maybe yeah. like next time I'm in Paris or you're in Brooklyn, we shall meet in person. Absolutely. Whoever, whoever gets here first, I look forward to it. Me too. Okay? Thank you very much. And uh, buy the book, Dinner in French, because you get a real bad... The book came out, and then two weeks later, uh, the pandemic hit. Yeah. So you had a really, had a, really had to work. So I'm glad we had a chance to catch up, and, and hopefully we'll sell three or four books for you. <laughs> okay. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Au revoir. A bientôt à Paris. Au sinon, à Brooklyn. À Brooklyn. À Brooklyn, bien sûr. Au revoir. Au revoir.